trying to understand where the students are and what kind of systems exist or don't exist and how do we support the student like how do we approach it holistically how do we support communities so they can be a support to their child right at the end of the day i tell our families um where we have the honor of working with your child but we know it's not just like they're not just learning from us we want to partner with you so it could be a stronger foundation for the child um so roundabout way it's just i was trying to get to the roots of how do we really build student success Hi everyone, and welcome to the Zone of Proximal Development with me, your host, Marjorie. We started this project to amplify the voices and experiences of teachers as we reflect on a year of remote learning through the COVID-19 crisis. America and the world continue to fight this virus and the end of the worst parts of the battle seems within reach. However, the roller coaster of emotions educators encounter on a daily basis continues to intensify. Last week, I flew solo, and you all allowed me to think through a lot of my more recent struggles. Quick update. My COVID test was negative, and I'm still here, so that's a probable no on the slow-burning heart attack theory. I am feeling better. I think my body just went on strike until I gave it some of the rest it needed. Also, my school decided to remain remote for the rest of the year, and so by default, we will not be administering the state test. These are all wins, for which I am extremely grateful. I also want to add that I am so, so appreciative of all the understanding and encouraging messages I have received from you guys. It really means the world to me. So this is all to say that although it can seem like as teachers we have the weight of the world on our shoulders, it is important to know that a school does not run solely on the work of teachers. And there are other important voices in our communities that offer us unique points of view as we explore what it means to educate in the time of COVID. With this in mind, this week, I have the privilege of sharing ideas with Natalia a family engagement coordinator at a charter school in the South Bronx, not too far from my own school. I officially met her for the first time as we had this awesome conversation, but it feels like I have known her much longer. I have heard about her amazing grace and kindness from my best friend who is her colleague. However, even those praises from the most unimpeachable of sources did not do justice to this amazing educator. This exchange of ideas truly expanded my perspective on a multitude of levels because her position as family engagement coordinator affords her an invaluable 360 degree view of all the stakeholders in the school community. She was generous enough to share this unique perspective with us and I am richer for it. In particular, her question and challenge about teachers managing upwards really made me reflect on how we start to slowly and almost imperceptibly disengage in ways that compound our dissatisfaction with the system. One of my signature phrases when confronted with policies I disagree with is, I just work here. It's a mantra I have adopted as a form of self-preservation, a reminder as is often the case in addressing certain issues with the students in my classroom, that it is best to choose one's battles wisely. Which leads me to another one of my teacher affirmations. I do what I'm told, 
so I can do what I want. It is my ode to marginal compliance as an educator. But at which point do we surrender too much to the grind of the system? I left my previous school because I felt that I had reached a point where the chasm between the administration's vision and my own had grown too wide. I can't continue to be part of this problem, I told myself. I had just completed my master's in leadership, and I set out to scope the charter role to see its inner workings in preparation for starting the process of applying to start my own school with my own mission and vision. I didn't think I could deal with attempting to work within the DOE because that bureaucracy is so vast that it really is about who you know and not what you know. Furthermore, I felt that the process of eventually inheriting a school to reform did not align with the sense of urgency that was continuously rising within me. From that vantage point, a new phrase of disapproval was born. Not my vision, not my mission. You can probably tell I disagree often. Now, I find that that fire to implement my vision at a school level has faded. Through this pandemic, I realized that I have no desire to start a school because the chasm and vision for me goes beyond one school building or another. I have a fundamental disagreement with our entire system of education. But didn't I always? Wasn't this why I went into education in the first place? Is this a result of a slow and subtle disempowerment I failed to notice yet participated in unknowingly? Is this what is silently killing teachers' drive as agents of change? I tell my students that the sign of a great discussion or text is leaving with more questions than when you started. Natalia has pushed my thinking in a way that will have me questioning for a long time. I am definitely grateful to her for it. Baby, let me fill up whatever you missing. Oh, you like it up at the top. It's a better view, isn't it? I'm not surprised at all. No way. Hey, what you need? Come on. Just pay the fee. I supply it all. Went up the mountain and it wasn't hard to climb at all. At the top, I found some relief. You see? So please don't miss up the moon. Yeah. I went too hard for it. No, I need it. Beat it. Oh, you mess up the moon. Welcome. Hi. It's so Thanks for great. having me on the show. <laughs> it's great to have you here. I'm so excited. Um, so I I started this to talk to teachers about teaching through COVID because I, it's hard to believe that it's been a year. And so I'm actually really interested in a ton of different perspectives because it, obviously a school doesn't run on teachers. Right. Most teachers would feel miserably at running a school. No shade to my teacher friends, but it takes a lot of behind the scenes. Right. To actually run a school. I have a ton of respect for ops people, for for your uh, parent coordinator, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. you're like you're sometimes I feel like teachers are on the front lines in terms of the system. 
right? Like people don't want to, people don't blame the chancellor or they don't blame, you know, the principal as much as like the teacher, but you're in the literal front lines of parents. <laughs> you're like right there. Like the, you're like the face that uh, they see. Uh, I am. Um, and I take it as a, as an honor and as a, and as a privilege because as a fellow parent, I have a unique perspective. Right. And so I feel it's interesting in the charter world. Um, I am the parent coordinator, but because, you know, charters are special, I'm the family engagement coordinator. Uh, and so, uh, you know, that, that liaison piece of communicating both ways, right. Communicating what the school is trying to get up to the community and to the families. Um, and then vice versa, whatever the challenges are, for the families back to the school in a way that let's come to a, um, an agreement. I, I have three meetings a week with families, two in the morning and one in the evening. And it is how do we create spaces so they feel heard and they feel like they are partners in the education system. Um, that We've done much more of that this year than we have in the past, admittedly. And this is my um, I've worked in education for over 20 years, but this is my third year in the charter world in K-12. Wow, that's 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 wild. So yeah. that's a great segue because I always like to ask people, my 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 in into education was a little bit weird. I never thought I'd be in education, I never thought I'd be or, or rather in K through K through twelve. So I wonder, um, how did you end up in education? Uh, so in, in college, I my first year at, in school, I was adopted by the resident assist the residential services office. Um, my parents, when as soon as I graduated high school, said, "Bye, Natalia, we're done," and moved to Mexico. All kidding aside. And so I was like, uh, you know, we get breaks. What am I supposed to do like in between the semesters? And uh, became very close to student affairs, like res life, student affairs, and found a home in student development, leadership. I've worked in commuter student services for private. I've done public. I've done Northeast. I've done South. That's my, my career. And I, for the last like 10 years, I kept thinking, I wish I could get to these students sooner, but even more, I wish I could get to the parents because it doesn't, you know, we, I, I worked a lot with academic affairs and as far as retention, it was, there wasn't a foundation for a lot of our students, especially our minority students who were in most cases, first genera generation in school. And so what, you know, what do they need in order to succeed? They've come um, so far as far as getting to college, and then what, right? There's assumptions made about how ready they are, what kind of support systems exist, not only in school, but then at home, right? I worked with commuters, and it was, I'm in school for this these hours a day, and then I go, you know, and then I have to commute home, and it was a school in the Bronx, and, uh, you know, and, and life at home, um, and it's a, it's a diverse population. It's not everyone is struggling necessarily, but it is um, trying to understand where the students are and what kind of systems exist or don't exist. And how do we support the student? Like, how do we approach it holistically? How do we support 
community so they can be a support to their child, right? At the end of the day, I tell our families, um, we're, we have the honor of working with your child, but we know it's not just like, they're not just learning from us. We want to partner with you so it could be a stronger foundation for the child. Um, so roundabout way, it's just, I was trying to get to the root of how do we really build student success. That's so, that's so important. And it just, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking because uh, you work at a middle school. Um, I work mm -hmm. at a middle school. Uh, it's, it's the toughest in a lot of ways. A lot of people don't touch it, right? Um, and the reason I was always drawn to middle school is because I felt like you can still catch a kid in middle school. So a, a lot of people don't realize that Unfortunately, kids don't drop out in high school, right? Kids start dropping out of school in middle school. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's such an important time for kids. It's a transitional time. And what really you just opened my mind to is that it's a pivotal time for parents, right? Because we always think of like the teenager and all the things that they're going through. And it's like this is new for the parent too, right? Like it's a complete shift in how, in how maybe a lot of parents have related to their children as they go in, into middle school. So I feel like we were talking the other day about how kids now have a much, have many more opportunities to opt out. And that's been like even heightened because of the pandemic. Like, what are ways that that your parents try to build that partnership that you were talking about, or your families rather? Mm -hmm. How what do they come to you with? Like, what what are they what are they asking for? What are they offering? Like, how does that work? Uh, that that's a great question, and um, because it's new new territory for so many families. What I'm finding is almost a, a lack of confidence because if you think about adolescents, especially middle schoolers, and not only can I relate because I work in one, but I have three kids and, and one is in the, like just started sixth grade and she's a girl and I had two boys before her. Oh, uh, <clears throat> it's a whole new beast. <laughs> and I, I love the leadership that she already demonstrates. And so I, I you know, tap into that as a parent being confident in my ability, right? And so when I talk to families, it's very interesting to hear them say that you're the expert, right? You're the expert when it comes to the education. And I always come back to them with that you're the expert on your child. And so in order to have a strong partnership, we have to be in communication about what they're learning in the school and how we're approaching their education. I'm fortunate to be working in a school that focuses on social emotional learning in addition to the academics. So we're fortunate to have a social work team and to have directors of student support services that work not only with the faculty, but also with the families. So we are really in constant communication about how are we supporting our students. And so sometimes meetings when we have, when we talk to families, it's just, this is what we're doing, what's working for you. And then we ask like what's working and what's not working and how can we help? And we also acknowledge that it's, Although we're working, like the reason that we're in communication with them is because of their child, 
there are other things that may be happening, especially during the pandemic. I mean, we we sent out a newsletter with you know an idea that was born out of conversations with you know how are we communicating with families? What do they have access to? What would be helpful? And so we have a number of faculty and staff that say, oh, I heard this. You know, the, the New York City Library is doing this. Did you hear that the parks is doing this? And so they started emailing me when I was hired um, last year. And it was like, well, how do we get this into the hands of our families? And then pandemic hits, they're already used to getting a newsletter. And now we start adding, how do you have access to the devices, right? The access to internet was such a huge um, deal as we started the pandemic, especially for our students in the South Bronx. Um, how do we make sure that the family is um, has access to basic needs, right? Where do you go for food? Where do you go for, you know, medical, all of that. And it's not... We're here to fix anything. That's, no one's broken. But the access to information and resources and just the, the support. I can't say enough about the student support services and our social work team. They are phenomenal. Um, and, I've, you know, I've worked in higher education for most of my career. You don't have that. And so to see it. Yeah, and you kinda, you're kind of on your own there. Like, vaya con Dios. Sink or swim. I, you know, <laughs> wish you well. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So it is, um, I, I, communication is so important because what I discovered was even if I go in, I, I used to live um, in the Bronx and so some of their experiences, we were laid over the silly, you know, things that I think, you know, maybe still are more superficial silly. Um, I had a conversation with a parent, but my, she called in and I could hear cars and I said, well, you know, what's going on? And, and most of them are Spanish speaking and luckily I'm bilingual. And she said parking. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I remember like just double parking for like half an hour waiting for that. Like the fact that you can relate mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. parking or to, you know, and again, um, I, I have a, I, I call it an advantage of living through the pandemic as a parent and as an educator. So it gives me a unique perspective on, yeah, the, these kids have been on screens for 12 hours a day. And part of it was for school. And then the other part, right? And then they couldn't see each other. So the argument that my kids were, were using was, well, that's how I'm connecting to my friends. And then it's like you have this guilt of, but they should be going outside to play, but they should be interacting with humans. And I'm like, oh, wait, they can't, right? And so it's this, this vicious cycle of trying to do your best with everything that's going on as an adult is hard, right? Us trying to figure out living through a pandemic and some have suffered even more um, and seen suffering within their own homes. And then they still have to put a brave face for their child. Um, so I'm constantly thanking our families for all of the effort. I'm constantly offering help and saying like, what, what can we do to, to help? Um, and you, this is your community. So what do you want to see? Right. Um, I remember having a conversation with families and I said, you know, what can we do as a family? We were starting this, um, committee advisory committee with families. And one of the moms said, I want my child to like have fun. Can, can we do something with birthdays? Right. Can, can like, even like if the school sent them a certificate, happy birthday. She goes, I'll write it out. I'll, I'll color it in or whatever I need to do as a fellow parent. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Right? I hadn't thought about it, but I, I think that's a beautiful thing to recognize for whatever reason she is 
creative and she's artistic and she's crafty and she's like, let's do something fun. And then someone else is like, yeah, when the weather gets nice, we should go to a park together. I'll, I could, you know, from far away, we'll figure it out. We'll make sure everybody's safe, but we need to get these kids out. All that. And so they, then it's, you know, you see the, them talking amongst themselves and being reminded we're a community, right? You may have been in your home for the last year and I have been in my home and we may not have seen each other like we used to in the morning when we dropped off our kid and we were drinking our coffee together right outside the school, the school building. They don't have, we don't have that with them and they don't have that with each other. So it's just providing those spaces where they can come together and say, yeah, you're in it with me and I'm in it with you and I hear you, um, you know, and uh, I think that's special. I think that's uh, it's an honor. That's so great. There's so many things there that you said that have me just having light bulbs off, right? Because I'm a huge believer in the community school model, which unfortunately with this whole, I think the, the, the bringing of like toxic corporate culture into education has kind of been lost because I think fewer and fewer people realize that more happens in a school than instruction, right? Like schools, schools are the lifeblood of a community, of of a community. It used to be that all the local kids went to the same local school, right? Like I remember being a kid and, and we all went to the local public school and we saw each other at school. We, we, we lived in the same block on this in the same building and you know you got your I remember they don't even do this anymore right I remember getting my hearing checked at school getting my vision checked at school now so some some school some schools have um some schools have clinics now there's been sort of a a circling back to that but definitely this idea of the school providing additional services or being a hub of services Mm -hmm. for the community, I think more than ever became evident in during this pandemic. And unfortunately, I don't think a lot of schools were fully prepared for that. And as a system in New York, given that we're the largest school system in the country, (laughs) as a system, I don't think we were prepared for that. I think if we had kept that model, if we hadn't gone the billionaire way, um, we, Mm -hmm. I think, would have been able to handle this more cohesively for our families. I couldn't agree with you more. And so what I would say to that is, now understanding the role that schools have, I think we all have a responsibility outside of the school and then also within the school, right? So we took advantage that we had regular, regularly um, attended or well attend, somewhat well attended meetings and said, that's a way of folks coming in. There have been times during those morning huddles or news viewing that a family's like, oh, since I'm already here, I need this or I need that or do you know where I can get this? Um, and so it's a, it's a great, you know, we talk in education about multiple, multiple entry points, right, for a child and as far as how they learn. Um, they may have heard it from someone who went to a meeting. They may have seen it in the newsletter. They may have seen it on the website. They may have heard another parent make a comment about the teacher who, you know, and, and, and so they're communicating. 
Um, I also want to add that outside agencies um, are are being reminded how important the role is of education and schools within the community. Um, it, during the pandemic, we were invited to participate in a webinar uh, hosted by the CDC because there is a lot of thought and fear around vaccination. And so that um, the, and it wasn't a, let's get schools involved to convince everybody that they have to get it. It was, there's so much misinformation or lack of awareness and information out there where, where you know, what's already, like what's in session, right? When you think about things that um, our community has had to put on hold, right? Public libraries are, are no longer, um, you know, I, I think about places people go to to get information. And I have family members and friends that used to go to the library for English classes, right? That, that they've had to be more creative in how they do it, but they can't just go to the library and take their Saturday English class, right? So I think organizations, agencies, government, they're all not realizing school still happens. And so it, we have a captive audience for better or for worse. And some schools are getting it, you know, they're doing it better for whatever reason. Um, I know my position doesn't necessarily exist in every single school. Do I think it should? Yeah, I I feel like every you know we should have a petition saying at the very least, <laughs> you know. And I know there were budget cuts, and uh, believe me, I understand how that impacted our entire school system. But there are some key roles as far as how we support our. It always comes back to how we support our students. Right, supporting our teachers so they can support our students, supporting our families so they can support their students, supporting the school structure and, and now during the pandemic, the, um, the, the safety of our students. Why? Because we, we want to be there for our students. Um, so. Yeah, you know, it, it is it is really interesting. I was actually listening to something um, and somebody mentioned that it was really m messed up the way it was decided what was going to close. Like, I understand the science behind we needed to close. I'm super afraid of COVID, right? I believe the school should be closed until it's safe. But I had never thought about, like, at the beginning, right? I heard, I was listening to, I think it was a podcast, and they were talking about, like, so they didn't close bars because they were like, that's an economic issue. We can't close bars because, you know, people and like jobs. And I get that. But it's like, but we're going to close parks. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Where kids can actually safely do developmentally yeah. appropriate things that they have to do. And it was it's just a matter of convenience. Like, well, what can we close unilaterally that people can't really complain about? So to show that we're doing something, right? Because, yeah. and how that affects our families that rely so heavily on those community services, right? The library. I, I was a big library kid growing up. Um, the local library, the local park, all those yeah. things, you know, in the summer, the local pool, like, you know, like a lot of our families can't afford a vacation or something like that. And how yeah. those things were, were closed because it was easy to close them because those people had, those people in certain communities have 
a lesser voice, unfortunately, Absolutely. than let's say the than let's say the business community. Mm-hmm. And I, and so I, I agree. So I don't know. There's so there's so much there. Um, I wanted to ask you, I find it mind blowing that it's been a year. I find it mind blowing also that we're in March of this school year. Um, Also, it's kind of like because March is kind of it's a pivotal point. I just wanted to ask you, do you remember anything about that time February, March, like, because my memories are kind of blurry because I was like, go, 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 test prep. (laughs) And I honestly was a little bit oblivious to the virus. Like, Mm -hmm. do you do you recall the the, the sense, like personally and or at the school, what was going on a year ago, if you can believe a year ago? (laughs) It's a great question. I remember March 1st hit. And there was already buzz in the city about what um, will schools close down? Because we started having conversations at the leadership level, right? When you talk about, you know, who plays what role where, um, you have the teachers frontline working with kids, and then you have the administration, and I'm um, part of ops. And, and so having the conversations like, what if we had to? What do we need to do? And so the, the, the weeks le- leading up to when we knew that officially New York City schools would be closing, it was a lot of, we have to prepare. Whereas teachers are like, well, what if we did this? We could do some of it online. We can do some of it. We need to make packets and we have to get pencils. Like they started thinking that at that level, we're like, what if this takes us out of the building for a month, right? Not even thinking it was going to be longer. It was just like, okay, we need to let, let this calm down a little and then we'll be back, you know, within a couple of weeks. Um, on a very personal level, the chancellor made the announcement on my birthday. So March 15th was a Sunday last year. And I remember, I, I think it was, it, I was on Twitter, right? The instant, instant notification. And it said, New York City schools are closing. And I was like, okay, how does that? And then I go into mom mode, right? I was like, okay, so that's New York City. But my kids are in another school district. How, like, how, now I'm going to have to juggle. What does that look like? And I went in that whole week um, and we, as a team, made sure that we set home enough things where the kids would be okay to do at home, like instruction in home, like, you know, the, the, the virtual. At, again, at that point, there was no sense that it was going to last this long. And so I thought I we were going to be back in two weeks. I was one of those oh. two-week people. Ah, Okay. So I thought maybe maybe a month. I was like, we're going to start spring, and then we're going to be back in the building. It's not that bad, right? Not. I don't think anyone could fathom the magnitude of this and how it would impact our community and how it would impact it disproportionately to the rest of the country. If we talk about what communities were really hit hard, um, that the, that first week was okay. So you know, we had families come in to pick up, you know, these famous packets of they'll be fine at home, right? We'll we'll get them online. And then realizing, oh my gosh, so many of our kids don't have access to the, like now it's, they don't have internet, which means they can't go to school, which was never a problem because even if, you know, you couldn't have fun, right? The entertainment, the gaming that happens on online at home, at least when they went to school, they went to school. And so for the first couple of weeks, 
that's what I kept hearing from families. Like, when are we going to get back to normal? Because my kid's not going to learn at home. Like, I'm not a teacher, right? And that that was def- definitely um, something that we still hear now, right? I, you guys are the experts. I'm not, I can't teach them. We're not asking you to teach. Just make sure that, you know, they have, they're in front of a computer. Well, I can't watch them all day because I either have to go to work or if I'm in the home, I can't watch that they're paying attention. And and so when a teacher's like, well, they submitted a blank, right? The The whole idea of how they have to engage in school. It's, I mean, we did workshops for families on what's a Google Classroom and what it, like, how do they log in and Zoom. Like I have families now, a year later that are like, I've never used it. They call in for the conferences. They are not comfortable with the technology. So we have these expectations of like, well, yeah, New York City, every, everybody got a tablet if they didn't have internet. It's not that easy for families that just don't have, like that's, that's not in their day-to-day practice, right? They have jobs that don't require them to go online. And they had limited access to begin with. And now we're saying, okay, so in order for your child to, to get a full education, they have to be online for a number of hours with good, it's not even internet. I hear, I hear so much, so many times from families of like, my kid was trying, but then they cut out. Or, you know, there were three kids trying to pull from the same internet. Yeah, it's just, you know, we're lucky that one of them got on. Um, and that's impacting their their um, their access and their education this year. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm really sensitive to uh, these, I call them sometimes unrealistic, unrealistic expectations of, I don't want to say teachers or administrators of schools, you know, our kids are not learning at 100%. Even the ones that are thriving, that have, you know, are, are disciplined and, and, and families can support in ways that are really helping their child, the fact that they're doing it from home, the fact that they are, they don't have access to things that they would have in the school. You know, I think about our sciences and our things that they would be doing labs, right? We have, we offer three regions, and by this year, our eighth graders would have had a number of labs that they would have completed. They're not doing that at home. They can't. We can't offer that level of uh, instruction to them right now. That's so. Um, yeah, we. It, it's been an interesting year for sure. Um, I, I hope what you know when we look at silver linings, and I'm I'm optimistic, but I'm also a realist, and I'm hoping that at least at the very least. Um, our communities are coming together and saying, like, this is this is how we showed up for each other, right? It it wasn't that my kid got a hundred, you know, on everything and was the best at everything. It was as a family, we we supported each other and we felt supported by the school. And you know, when I needed something, I knew who to go to, and I was able to to access it. Not being able to pro- provide basic things for your child. I can't think of anything worse. Like the guilt is real. That's got to be terrifying, you know? Like, so there's so much there. And, you know, I started thinking about having these conversations with educators, honestly, out of frustration, right? And Mm -hmm. um, in particular, I heard you know, some parents say some crazy things online. 
I actually want to touch on something that you said that that really was impactful for me. So I came at it. I, too, am responsible for children, right? Um, so I do <laughs> have that other perspective. And I'm a teacher. But, of course, my main lens uh, is through the teacher. My main conflict, I guess, is through the teacher because I'm doing everything that I can for, for mm-hmm. my kids, right? I'm not perfect, even though I'm a teacher, because it is madness, <laughs> madness. Yeah. I, I, like I have, I have eight-year-old twins, and to get two kids to be online <laughs> while you're working is madness. But I love what you said about, mm-hmm. like everybody's expectations. So, like I said, I came at it from a teacher perspective. Like everybody's mad at us. Like I'm tired of being of, of people being mad at us and blaming us. Um, for everything that's going on, I'm tired of the abuse. And I still feel that way in a lot of ways, but you made me think like, is it time for us all to call a truce? <laughs> and it seems like you don't have as much, as many of those problems at, at your school. Cause you've been proactive in a lot of ways, but is it time for us all to call a truce? The teachers, the politicians, the parents, like, how would that work when there is, it feels like everybody just wants to release and wants to blame the other party because we we are so cognitively overloaded by this whole thing. Like we're mm-hmm. so overwhelmed that it we're just like, no, it's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. Like how do we put down our arms and and figure something out? Because it doesn't seem like this is going to, this doesn't seem like we're going to go back to normal, normal anytime soon. Like I keep asking and nobody has an answer. Right. So we have no idea what's going to happen next year. So uh-huh. how do we come together essentially, given that we are so divided in the micro and macro level. And honestly, everybody's in their feelings about what's going on. <laughs> I, I I agree. Um, as you're speaking, I'm like, yes, yes, yes to that. And yes to that. So I, I believe your first question was, is it time to call it true? Um, yes, 100%. Um, what worries me is that um, because we're not acknowledging how people are feeling, right? We're just going through the motions. I, I hear, um, you know, fellow administrators, whether it's at my school or other schools, um, saying, you know, we're doing great, or, you know, that it is what it is, what are we going to do, or somebody, who dropped the ball? Um, we're all going through it, right? Um, whether you have kids in the home or not, whether you're a teacher or not, whether you're an administrator or not, um, we all play multiple roles, and we all wear different hats when it comes to supporting our kids. And first, the first thing that comes to mind is we're, we're not checking in with each other. Um, I came in, and I don't know if it was a year and a half ago, um, I, I got certified in yoga and mindfulness. And that was like, obviously pre-pandemic, it was something that I had been wanting to do. And the program I did was through, um, it's social, through a social justice lens, working primarily in minority communities, because there was this idea that, you know, uh, people in, in certain communities didn't feel like yoga was for them, Right. Because it's like, yeah, that's what other people do that can afford it. And it's like, oh, my gosh, if you knew what it was and um, the benefits of 
being fully present of asana, which is a physical manifestation of, you know, the yoga practice. And yoga is really just the union between your mind, body, um, and soul, and just like allowing yourself to feel um, is very powerful and very empowering to an individual. And so imagine if collectively as a community, as a city, as a, as a state or as a country, right? And even globally, but, you know, I, I dream big and I think big, but I'm like, okay, let's, let's think, let's work locally and think globally, right? Um, I don't think we take the time to check in with each other. And so the reason I mentioned the certification is I went into every family meeting thinking, I first need to check in on them. It's not a, this is what you need to know in order for your kid to succeed. Or this is what you, like, this is your job, right? You, you got to do this. We literally do a, a mood meter. We check in every morning. We're like, how are you feeling? And actually take the time to hear what they have to say, right? And so we've been in meetings where most of us are like, I'm, my energy is low and I'm just not feeling it right now. And so we talk about it, right? What could, what's going on? We talk about emotions and how they are trying to tell us something's going on, how they're temporary. If you're having a bad morning, doesn't mean you have to have a bad day or a bad week. And so just giving them the permission to like be able to express themselves and then being seen as a person and not just you're, you're the parent, you're the family member to that child. It is, I see you as a fellow human being and in this time that we have, half an hour, 45 minutes, we're, you can, you know, hopefully they by now feel like we've created a safe enough space. What I worry about in conversations with other teachers, with, with uh, other administrators, and this is K through 12 and higher education, is no one's checking in on teachers. Right. When you talk about like, you know, you're, you're, you're torn and you come at it as a teacher, it's like we luckily and I, I think maybe because we've taken the time to ask families, the families that I talk to are so appreciative of, of teachers. How do they do it? How do they have people? How, how are they teaching? And sometimes I see it and there's a kid running in the background that they're still trying to keep track of the 21 that are on the, the So like the families see it. But if you can't acknowledge a hum, like human to human that we're in it together and we're doing the best that we can with what we have right now and knowing that we have a common goal, which is to support each other through this, it's a, it's a global pandemic. It's not like that, that you know, there, there was a chicken box outbreak in that school. Like, good luck to that. This is hitting all of us. And so, you know, the, the access to basic needs, right? Making sure that the, the family is okay, that they have what they need in order to be okay right now. The fact that, that people don't feel seen or heard, heck, you, you, you make me feel like I'm, I'm a part of something and, I, and you see me and you hear me, I will give you 150%, right? But you're give, you're, you have these high expectations and this is in general, this is not like at your school or my school or just New York City. This is in general, if anyone, especially those interacting with kids, don't feel appreciated, they will do their best because that's why we got into education, but they will burn out so much faster. And we have some amazing people that are now considering career changes just because we have forgotten to check in on them. How are you doing? Like, how are you really doing? And then just wait and listen. Like, and then ask, what can we do? How can we help? Because I feel like, 
<clears throat> right, like this was something that was going on before. I feel like, you know, we have this this teacher shortage crisis. We always talk. We've been talking about it for like since I've been a teacher, right? Um, many moons, right? Um, and but I but like everything else that was a social ill, right? COVID just it dug it, it dug in there and just brought it all further yeah. out, right? And to yeah. be honest, like like I was already feeling like, oh man, like is this is this is this what I want to do? Because I love working with youth, but the system is so screwed up, right? Like, at, at which point do you do you make that choice? Like, what's good for me versus, yes, I do love to do this work, but it's really kind of killing me in a lot of ways. And then COVID just sort of punched you in the face with that, with that reality. And and in the simplest terms, it's like my feelings were like mega hurt <laughs> as a teacher yeah. by yeah. the like the level of like the level of entitlement by some mm-hmm. by some by some mm-hmm. parents and just I guess maybe society as a American society as a whole. And so I wanted to ask you and I don't I guess I want to be intentional in how I ask this question because I don't want to I don't want to make generalizations but okay. <laughs> but I feel like so I would layer this in a couple of ways. I feel like in America we're dealing with a huge empathy problem, right? Just in general, yeah. right? For uh, for, yeah. for 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 a long time, right? Um yeah. We're also dealing with, for a long time, the underappreciation of educational professionals. Um, so yeah. that's a separate pillar, yeah. right? Yeah. And but yeah. you mentioned you mentioned you know your the families you work with are super appreciative, and they and they they see the sacrifice and they're they're all in. It's a partnership, and I know that we work in similar communities, right? We uh, our mm-hmm. schools are like ten minutes away. So we have a very similar uh, population and it is a lot of immigrant families. Do you think do you think that that has an influence? Because I can speak for myself. I'm I'm of Dominican descent and Mm -hmm. in in the Dominican Republic. And I think by and large in Latin America, education and the educational profession and educational, educational professionals and education in general is highly regarded. And like you said, the parents defer, right? You're the expert, mm-hmm. you know. Do you yep. think that that has an influence in how the parents are relating to the school professionals in your experience with your school? I do. Hello. And and uh, I'd say majority are uh, happen to be Spanish-speaking, um, and their, their kids are now first-generation, right? They... Um, a lot of families that we talk to are here for uh, a better a better future for their for their family, and so they will do whatever it takes. These are some of the I work with some of the family the most hardworking families, self sacrificing whatever I need to do in order to for my child to be okay. I will work two jobs. I will and and so like we talk about that guilt that I had mentioned that before on I know you know. If my child was in the building, you would be, quote unquote, taking care of them. 
um, with everything, right? Their food, because they get their breakfast and lunch, their education, and then making sure that they're just okay, just in general. Um, I think also looking at the dynamic or the, you know, the, the families we work with versus some of the faculty and staff and how some faculty and staff can relate to the experiences, whether they're first or second generation, um, whether they speak the language or not, um, whether they had a similar experience growing up um, within similar communities, and some don't. And I'm not saying you have to relate in order to do a better job, right? The fact that I am Spanish speaking, that you know, culturally, my family's from uh, Colombia, I am first generation, here, went to school here. Um, and so I can relate in some things, but not in all. I've never lived abroad. And so when our families share, you know, the, these holidays were so different because in my country, this is what we would be able to do. Or I want to bring this to the community so my child can continue in their culture and we're not able to provide those experiences. Um, that, that becomes a little bit of a, of a frustration for them. But they are grateful um, because they do see, you know, as teachers, they know you have to at least have a bachelor's um, in New York City. You, if you're working in a public school, you need to be certified. So we've, we've talked, we've had those conversations about like, are you equipped to teach my child? And I know you are because they hold that career in such high regard. Again, saying like you're the expert is such a um, it's not a loaded it's just it's 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 a double-edged sword in our communities i would say actually it can be very problematic right because be. oftentimes oftentimes you know i find this in the in the medical profession right people it's sometimes hard for people with, with immigrant backgrounds to advocate for themselves because they feel like they have to yeah. defer to the authority you know so yeah. that's why i mean it's yeah. a double-edged sword and I think um, we we do our communities a disservice when we don't constantly encourage them to speak up, right? We do we survey a lot. Uh, we've had families like uh, we didn't we do a survey last month, and we're like we just want to know how you're thinking, what you're thinking, <laughs> um, and what we'll say, you know, in in different settings is, and again, the the charter world is a little bit different than public schools and private, but in our in our space. Um, we are constantly asking for opinions as far as like what's working, what's not working, um, what observation. Things as simple that you, know, that you wouldn't necessarily think of. I was working with a family or I'm working with a family and um, the children are really struggling. And I said to the mom, we're doing this. And she's like, I know you're trying and I'm trying too. And there's a lot going on at the home. What can we do? And so we were, we were both in this like silence. And she's like, Natalia you know what I noticed? And I was like, yes. And she said, the times that they say his name, it's you can almost see him like perk up. She goes, what if we tell the teachers, call on the kids? And I was like, that's actually genius, right? When you think about engaging a child, a, an 11-year-old online and they are, if they're sitting next to a window, it's like, oh, look at that bird. Is that a squirrel? <laughs> Is that a car? That's what the, the, the police officer going back. It, right? They can get distracted. It's developmentally somewhat appropriate. But like that 
observation. And that's when I want, those are the like that's an example of when I say to a parent, you're the expert on your child. And now even more than ever, you're seeing things and noticing things that we may have not had an opportunity to see. Because even if that child had been in the school, um, although the, it would have been a different setting, we may have missed that because they're in a room with 19 other kids. Even if there's a co-teacher, they, we may have met, missed that, you know, that particular way of engaging a child. It seems um, like, you, you know, we should know that. Isn't that obvious, right? You call my name, I'm going to answer. But we're living in a pandemic. We're teaching in ways that we weren't, you weren't trained on virtual teaching. That, like, that we haven't even talked about that. On teacher training, um, and yes, we've had at our school some great PDs of how to use this software, how to use that. But just this engaging, uh, and uh, as an adult, right, you, we get tired of staring at a screen. Imagine a kid, not to say that they don't stare like a phone screen or gaming, but like getting instruction through a screen not being able to engage when we talk about group work, even if we do breakout rooms and we use Zoom, not the same. It's not the same as like turning over to a friend and be like, did you get that? I don't know. You know, like the, the, the ways that they interacted with each other no longer exist. And so as a teacher, it's like, okay, now I have to like reteach myself how to teach something. Even if you're an amazing you know your content inside and out. You can create a lesson plan. Like tomorrow you have to create this thing for what I know based on the, the conversations that I'm having with teachers. It's not a content issue. It's not like I forgot how to teach math. It is how do I now engage in a way that I don't know how to, nor was I trained to, nor like if you think about your teacher training, like when you were in school, all the techniques that you could you use, you can adapt some of them but this is a whole new world. And so I don't think we give teachers enough credit as far as like, now you have to get really creative, right? It's not a just, well, a second screen would be helpful if you use a Google Classroom and then you have one screen that you're looking at the lesson and you the other. That's just the practical, like some tools that you use. But as far as like really engaging, that's a challenge that I think we need to spend more time with. And when you talk about going back to normal, the, the normal we knew no longer exists. So like, let's start there. <laughs> but how do we co collectively, right? And it, it goes back to good communication, building relationships, really asking to understand when it comes to working with the, the adults that are working with our kids. That's how I, you know, when I talk to families, it's, you know, teachers work with them in this capacity and this special you know, if they have an IEP and they have, they get services, that adult may interact with them a little bit differently. And as a family, you're, you know, you're interacting with them. And how do we collectively really understand what the child needs and then, you know, share those things with each other, right? Hey, I, I hope teachers are talking to each other. I don't know because I'm not in teacher meetings, um, but I share my observations like with my supervisor. So, I hope that that is, you know, that, that's trickling down and getting to the right people. And I'll talk, you know, I talk to teachers, so I'll mention it. Um, but uh, I think the communication is, is so important, but you have to ask to really understand. You have to, we have to listen more to each other. I'm, I'm so grateful for so many things that you just said there. Um, 
I was speaking to another friend of mine and I was trying to explain like as a teacher we already had to make a ton of cognitive decisions on any given moment and what a lot of people don't understand I'm glad you mentioned that, that it's not just a technical issue which although that is an issue because there are various yeah. level there are varying levels of of tech savviness, right? Within within yeah. the field. And so that's a whole nother conversation, right? That's a divide. But for me, it's sitting down with my co-teacher, envisioning, like knowing what we want to teach, thinking, okay, yeah. how are we going to teach it? And then oh, how would we teach it ideally, right? How do, what do we want? And how do we then translate that ideal into something that can actually be done online and all the extra mental power and actual time. Like I remember one time just spending close to an hour with my co-teacher. Like we, we, we already spent extra time trying to figure out like how to adapt the lesson. And then it was like, oh, but we have to test all the things that we said we're going to use to see if they actually work for the kids and I'm like under my desk like connecting things I'm like trying to open up things like like devices I'm like so okay so and so I think that that's a part that that can be forgotten I know that admin admin has their own sets of pressures um I'm trying to have grace towards admin although at least in my experience i'm not seeing a ton of grace from admin to teachers because the list just grows and grows and grows and grows and nothing gets taken off so i know they have their own challenges but i just wish that that they would understand that it feels like the days never end like it's just, and maybe it feels that way for everybody, but as a teacher, right? As a teacher, I have to plan my lessons. I have to grade things. I have to deliver the lessons. I have to, I have to plan a unit in advance, all these things. Right. So I appreciate that, that you mentioned that. And it seems to me that at least your parents can, can, sort of see that as well. So that, that heartens me because like I said, I started this, these conversations because I was mad. <laughs> I was mad and, I, and, I, and my feelings and my feelings were hurt, but I'm really, I'm really grateful that to hear that from you. So I appreciate that. I, I appreciate um, you speaking up. Like the fact that you started this conversation um, just in general, right. Creating this space where you could talk about it came from a, from a, place of need, right? You, you saw, you observed something, you felt something and, and you wanted to do something. So taking action, um, kudos to you. And I applaud you and, and your efforts because it's not easy to be in the feelings and then to actually express them, right? So many people fall into the trap of I'm so frustrated and the whole system is messed up. And then they just like keep pushing it in and in and in. And guess what? Eventually no one else is like, you're, you're hurting yourself. It's like, I heard once, and I have to find where the origin is because I quote it way too much, but like being angry at something and not doing anything about it is like taking poison and expecting someone else to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm familiar with that one. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's, and, it, and, it, and it's, but it's satisfying, right? In the moment, like yeah. to see, 
Well, I guess this is like a younger me. Like I'm, I'm older now. I'm dealing with the fact that I'm older now, and um, and so I know better now. But like, it is a little bit satisfying to sort of sit in like your outrage. But it's like, yeah. how do we move past the outrage? Because at the end of the day, what we all have in common, the middle of that Venn diagram, are the children, and Absolutely. as much. As much as we might fight amongst each other and it's like admin versus teachers and teachers versus parents and parents versus admin and everybody against the government and the government against teachers, <laughs> as much, like, at least for these three groups, for parents and teachers, right, and I put admin as a separate group because we do have different needs, right, admin and teachers. Yeah. At the center, yeah. I have to believe that we all, our focus is what is best for our children how can okay. we yeah. how can we do what's best for them i mean and we're not none of us are perfect so we're gonna mess up and 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 let's be honest some of us there are different levels of commitment right <laughs> in, in, in all different parts of those groups so like how do we refocus our energy to the the children to to the children in a meaningful way because I feel like a lot of there, there's a lot of lip service being thrown um, about the children oh, the the children are going to be behind it's like learning loss is an adult construction we have decided that the children are going to be behind yeah. and we have decided yeah. that that's what we're going to be obsessed with <laughs> like yeah. so like the children are where they are. And we're stressing them out because they hear these things. Yeah. Like we act like they don't hear everybody talking about how behind they are. So like, mm -hmm. how do we, how do you think as somebody who's, who is centered in social, emotional, um, in a social, emotional, social justice frame, yeah. how, what do you suggest? How can we pause and try to refocus our energy meaningfully, <laughs> authentically mm. on the children? Um, I, I think you actually had the answer at the very beginning of our conversation when, when you addressed the lack of empathy that currently exists, um, I think, worldwide, but, you know, if we're, if we're focusing on, on our region of, of the world, um, children, as you said, here, everything they sense everything it's like a child in the middle of a divorce they know right when the two the two adults are not getting along um and they're not able to put their differences aside who who's it who who does it affect the child and so i you know when when you're talking about the different entities that work with the kids right the families obviously um the administrators the teachers the fact that we haven't listened to each other in a way that really um empathizes with what the other group is saying. And it comes, I keep bringing it back to communication because I'm very grateful that I have been in spaces where people have felt comfortable enough to share their experiences. I, as an administrator, when I came into the charter school world, I had worked only as an administrator in higher education, focused on student affairs and leadership development, but it had been from through that lens. And I sat down trying to understand, right? It was just like, it was me new trying to be like, okay, teachers, what do you do? Okay, so-and-so, what do you do? And just asking a lot of questions in my first year because I admittedly said, 
teachers, you know, have it easy. They just come in and teach, not taking into account the planning, the grading, the like the, the meetings, like the prep time, like all of that, that if you're not in that world, Marjorie, you don't necessarily understand. And it's not that the people are, are, are not necessarily um, bad, you know, and I hate, and I hate to use such a, a, a simple word, but it is almost a lack of, they don't have, they don't have Ill a lack of awareness. They're not. Yes, that's, that's exactly it. And so, um, you know, we can start by really listening to each other and understanding what goes into preparing our children um, as far as helping them grow. When we talk about growth, it's not how are we going to get them to pass that next test, right? And we haven't even talked about state exams and that whole, I'm not even going to say it because, you know, I, I want to stay civil. <laughs> um, but it is, what do our kids need right now, right? What do they, they need to know um, that they are safe. They need to know that whatever they need in order to succeed um, in life, they have within them, right? We just need to help them bring it out. We need to help them tap into that, you know, that, that energy that already exists in them. Um, we have to continue to inspire them to, to do good, right, in the world, to be empathetic. We have to lead by example when it comes to, we want you to be okay. We want to help you grow. Um, and that, that looks different right now. And that's okay. Right. I agree with you. They hear us. They hear when we're saying, oh, they're at such a disadvantage compared to who? Everybody's going through. It's not like, uh oh, U.S. is, you know, we went down in rank compared to Switzerland because, you know, we did we did it this way. It is right now thinking about the communities you're working with. Right. Think think globally, act locally. What do our kids need? They need to, um, you know, be ignited with or, or, or empowered to believe in themselves, right? When you lose hope, and we've, we've worked with families, at, at, you know, at, at my school, where it's like, there's such a sense of hopelessness, right? You lose hope, how do you inspire a kid to, to go to school when they don't even know if they're going to survive, right? Because they've just lost family members to a global pandemic. Um, that That is a very humbling experience to help a family go through that grief um, and to remind them that they are a part of a community that supports them. Um, but that right now, that, that kid being okay has to be our priority. Not, you know, the, them not finishing the homework. Not, don't get me wrong, we work at a school. We want them, you know, to, we want to continue to encourage them to, to create good habits, but it looks different. It's it's that hierarchy of need, right? So like, even if, like, even Uh, if we fell off the rankings, which we have been really way off the rankings for a long time, it's like, is that really, is that really what matters right now? Like, what, where are your values? Like, what is our value Mm -hmm. structure? What, What do we need to, as a society, as an American society, reevaluate about the mm-hmm. things we value, right? Like, what what is how is passing a test or whatever? And I, I have problems with testing on a regular year, not just on a pandemic. <laughs> how is it like? How can you compare that to the amount of trauma that 
all of us are going through. Everybody's going mm-hmm. through trauma. I don't, to be honest, I'm I'm the kind of person that I believe we all have a level of privilege, but there are clearly a lot of people that have a lot more privilege than others. Yeah. But even yeah. people who are super privileged, I think we are all going through a trauma. So how uh, is yeah. anything else? How is anything? Over half a million people here are dead. How is anything mm-hmm. else more important than addressing that? Like, how are we... What is going on <laughs> with our <laughs> leadership as a nation, right? Mm-hmm. Where these things even matter more. How could that matter more than addressing the collective trauma and the real the real physical and lived precariousness of mm-hmm. what's going on right now? Some of our kids are in shelters during a pandemic. Some of our families are in danger of being evicted during a pandemic. They can't, they don't know where the next meal is coming from. And you're telling me you care about learning loss that, that or that that's what we need to care about the most. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not down for that. I say yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's where um, being confident in your voice Right, empowering our communities to speak up. Um, that's that's why it's so important. It's not just I am, you know, me, me innocent bystander. I think that looks wrong. It is collectively, what are we living, and how do we voice that to, you know, and we have to think like let, let's be smart about how we voice that opinion. I think I'm hoping we're in better hands now with the new president. Right, we haven't even talked about politics, Marjorie, but I think we're better. Is it perfect? No, it's nowhere there to go is... but up. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, very true. I mean, I have. I, 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 I'll admit the fact that you know the the um, the president's wife is in education. Right, the first lady has an education background. She the the priorities are are much already different there. So I'm hopeful that the right people are listening um, when it comes to what do our kids need. And I also know once you know and you realize that there's a problem, then you have a responsibility to do and say something. So it's it's great that we're having this conversation. And I'm already thinking, so now what? Like, what else can we do? Um, it's, it's important to, to have the conversation because there, there is such a thing as, not being aware because you're in your bubble, right? When we talk about, you know, the different groups, whether it's teachers or administrators, and I I work with teachers that are like, I stay in my lane. I teach this and I know I'm great at teaching this and I teach this grade and that's all I'm going to focus on. And I have the unique opportunity to work across grades and teachers, administrators, families, right? So I have, I get to see things maybe that others don't see. And so I communicate. I'm like, hey, did you know that this? And did you hear that this, you know, that this? Because they may not have heard it elsewhere. So I love what you said about empowering our families and our communities to speak up for themselves. And and I try to do that in the classroom, right? In in the way mm-hmm. that I teach and 
through the lens that I teach through, right? So yeah. um, mm-hmm. I, I, everything I do is through a social justice lens with my, with my students. How do we, how do we do that for our, our families? Like, what, what is a way that you can think of or that you've done to encourage our families to speak up, to let them know that their voice matters? Um, I don't want to to oversimplify it, but I I ask and I shut up and listen. I I don't have all the answers. I I didn't go into this school year or last school year and say, I'm the expert. Guess what? 20 years of experience. I got you. I I will tell you what you need to do. And then you're going to have, everything's going to be perfect. No, because our, even, even though I was a Bronx resident, I know right now in this moment, as we're living the pandemic, I'm not. And so they're, they have experiences that are unique to their, them living where they live right now. Um, it is really asking the question and listening, um, letting them know that their voice matters, but then doing something about it, right? If they're making suggestions and we don't do anything, then guess what? They're going to stop coming. They're going to stop making suggestions. They're going to stop speaking up. It has to be not only asking, but then building the relationship and maintaining it, right? We have to be genuine in how we approach our relationships with our community members. And that includes fellow teachers, administrators, family. We are, you know, the 2020 to 2021, this school year from end of August to end of June, this is the time that we have with those families. With our eighth graders, that's it. Come end of June, that's it. I, you know, I, we hope that they have gotten what they need in order to be successful in high school. I hope. Um, and I think we have a really strong eighth grade team that is teaching them certain things. But, like, there's so much that we would have done, so much more that we, that we wanted to do with them this year, right? Because we knew their skill sets that, you know, they need to acquire in order to be successful in the next phase of their educational career. We are trying to be creative. We are trying to like, we hope they understood that. Let's get them excited. I want to, I tell our families, as long as they are continuing to stay engaged, both families and students, as long as they are still interested in, in growth, um, helping them grow and be excited about learning and building those habits about, you know, whether that's daily, whatever they're doing, right? That success can be built on you having a strong foundation, a a desire to learn, right? If we, and and it goes back to that feeling of of hope of, you know, I, I make a difference and I can do something and I am capable. If all I hear is negative, right? The, the, there's a pandemic and people are dying and we may not have food on on the table when we talk about extremes. And then they hear, you're not a good student. And they internalize that as, and I can't ever be, right? That, that happens. We know that happens. We know when students like quote unquote give up, if we're not digging deeper, there's, there could, you know, there's things that are happening there. And I, you know, go back to the idea of like, we're very fortunate at my school that we have a social work team, that we have systems in place where if we observe something, a teacher could, a family could, a student could self identify as far as needing additional help and refer themselves and say, maybe I need to talk to somebody. And you know what? 
I applaud every step of the way because it's just, it's you figuring out for yourself eventually for our kids how to advocate. I am a big cheerleader of self-advocating for families and for students. And so I will keep coming back to it. If a family has spoken up at something, I'll come back at the next meeting and be like, remember when you, I remember when you said that last time, that was a good point. Thank you. Anyone else? Right. So it's just building and maintaining that relationship. Um, so we really understand what the community needs and understand the expectations. At, I hope that nothing that I say refer, comes across as like, we have to lower our expectations because they can't handle it. We have to modify, right? When we talk about meeting kids where they're at, we have to really think about what they need and then work with the parameters that, that, that currently exist, which are not ideal. We know working in middle school, those kids should be in a building so we can support them in the ways that they need to be supported. Are we ready for that? No. Nope. Even right now, we're not. And still, we are pushing because we know what the, how they, they could benefit. But we really need to be careful that we're doing things carefully and thoughtfully and not just to like, there's a term in Spanish, las apariencias, right? Just, just, just a show. We were the first to do that. Oh, yeah, we use 20 different softwares. Um, do you know what that does to a faculty member? Do you know what that does to administrators? Do you know what that does to families who now have to figure out something else that they weren't comfortable in the first place trying to figure out? Like, that's to a student. What is this a student? Yeah, no, it's... It's wild because I do I do get this apariencias thing and it bothers me so much, right? So for my for my non Spanish speakers, we're bilingual here, right? For appearances, <laughs> right? That that's yeah. also part of what I mean by like for show. I feel like New York wanted to flex yeah. basically and say we can do this. We're the biggest school district in the mm -hmm. in the nation and we got this. And and they they screwed up in a lot of ways. And I think a lot of the frustration. Yeah. I had another I had another conversation with uh, uh, my teaching mentor actually. And she was like, that is that is where a lot of the parental frustration came, at least in her opinion, in New York was the, uh -huh. the, the, the stop and go, the stop and go, the yes or no, the yes and no, we're closing, we're opening. We're, like it, it's, it's overwhelming when you're dealing with all yeah. this other stuff, right? Yeah. So yeah. I just, yeah, I wish that we would be, I wish that we could be more intentional i think that goes to the mm. i don't know much about yoga but this the same teacher mentor person she's in, she's heavy into yoga i i suspect she probably did the same certification thing that you did because i think it was specifically geared for educators but mm -hmm. um so i feel like there's a lot of intentionality in yoga right and I would just wish, mm -hmm. I, I think a lot of us teachers, because I'm a teacher, so I'm coming at it from a teacher lens, we try very, very, very hard to be intentional, right? Everything has mm -hmm. to be intentional, particularly during this time, remote, our periods are shorter, all of that. I wish that that intentionality trickled up. <laughs> I wish that people were just a lot more intentional with again, our hierarchy of need and how to, and how yeah. to support our families and our students. So I'm going to challenge you and ask the question. You, you down, see it as a teacher. Yeah, <laughs> but you see it as a teacher because you're feeling it, right? 
Do you think, or am I going to put you on the spot unless you feel open to, to sharing? <laughs> um, but are, you know, are, are you or our teachers in general communicating up, right? There's this concept of managing your manager, right? And not to say that, you know, we have admin or managers, but they, they are not in the classroom. They are not seeing what you're seeing. They're not feeling what you're feeling. And so there's also a responsibility to communicate that. And unfortunately, because we're all dealing with the pandemic the best we know how, some will resort to, I'm going to stay doing what I know how to do. And I think it's the best way because that's how I was raised or that's been my experience and that works. And so I may not think to ask, right? I would hope administrators are checking with teachers. My guess based on my teacher friends is that's not happening and it's not, and if it is not enough. And so if they're not coming to you and saying, okay, so what's working or how are you both very important questions, then are you or our teachers communicating up and saying something needs to change? So that's my challenging question. <laughs> I love it. I love it because it makes me think, right? Because, um, I think there are several factors involved. So I think it depends on it depends on kind of your positioning as a teacher within your school, right? So if you are mm -hmm. a more veteran teacher, if you are a teacher who's been there longer, if you're an older teacher, if you're a younger teacher, that's going to influence that relationship that you have with your admin. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. You yeah. it, it did make me think because you know, I I do like teachers. We get together, we get together, and we love to vent, and that's part of the thing. That's that's part of the that's part of our ethos in a lot of ways. Yeah. So sorry for teachers who don't do that, and I'm generalizing, but that's been my experience. And so it sometimes it feels. I'll speak for myself. I I that's a great question that I will ask other teachers actually that I talk to. I think for some of us we feel like it's pointless. So for mm -hmm. some of us, it's like we've, we've given up on the idea of our voices being heard. It's like mm -hmm. we, we've dealt with, with being silenced for so long mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. we're like, well, what's, what's the point? Like, am I going to pick this fight? Am I going to expose myself for this? I am in a somewhat privileged position at my school because I am a more veteran teacher. Um, and I've sort of curried favor in so much as I do what I'm told so I can do what I want. And that's been my philosophy for a long time. So I, okay. I, I tend to just comply with a lot of things so that when I don't want to comply, I can sort of get away with it a little bit. Uh -huh. In terms uh -huh. of this, I have to say, I, I, I have spoken up several times about certain things, right? In public forums, the huddles, the staff meetings. Yeah. And I feel oftentimes, and this is, this predates the pandemic. Like, I feel like oftentimes as a teacher, you get yes to death. And, and that's, oh, yeah. that's maybe, that's maybe a particular like leadership style, but it's like, yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. I, I care about what you think. Yeah, sure. Uh -huh. but yeah. We'll get on it. Um, so I think it's a mix. I guess I'm not totally answering your question in that. I feel like it's a mixed bag. I feel like some of us are trying, some of us are trying in different ways. Um, yeah. 
But I think that there's a ton of tunnel vision with oh, yeah. admin right now. And I and I it's not that I'm not empathetic. Like there's a lot, there's a lot happening. But I just wish admin would understand that as we've been talking about, it is all of us together. Teachers alone mm-hmm. can't run a school. We would like to no. think that we can't, but we can't <laughs> run a school. Admin alone can't run a school. Ops alone can't run a school. Um, parents alone can't run a school. So, yes, I think it all goes back to, I think, the the heart of this conversation that you so have eloquently stated is what's going on with the communication, right? I I I don't know. I don't know how we can make it better because it I in my experience it often devolves. And maybe it's because we're all so tired. Like you're like you're in a yeah. Zoom meeting. You're in a Zoom meeting and it's like, do you really want to like start a conversation and be vulnerable, maybe, right? Mm-hmm. And then have nothing change anyway. And then so then you get mad, right? <laughs> like like you're mm-hmm. like, I shared this and I'm telling you what I need, and you're not listening to me. And so mm-hmm. what's the point? And then that's like that snowballs, right? So yeah. I just I I don't know how we could, because that's such a great, oh my gosh, that's such a great, I had never I hadn't thought about it so much because I'm so used to believing that admin is just going to dismiss me. And I think that's like what a lot of teachers feel, even though oftentimes I personally don't get dismissed, at least outright. Right. But like on major (laughs) things, on major things, I feel like, yeah, it's like oftentimes teachers feel disenfranchised. So they they don't even attempt to manage up, like you said. And I hear you, I, I hear that and um I, and I understand why so many have chosen not to say anything, right? So what? The level of frustration, it's like if I have this enough like this left of energy, why would I waste it on deaf ears? Right? That's 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 extremely frustrating. And the challenge is when when too many of uh, of us feel like that, then we're doing a disservice to the students because then they are not getting what they need because the people that actually see what could be helpful are not speaking up even when it is uncomfortable. And it goes back to like just a good team dynamics that I think the pandemic has just highlighted issues that have been there in the past, right? It's not a new thing, although there are some new challenges. It's been, you know, teachers not feeling heard um, admins thinking that they have all the, you know, and these are huge generalizations. I understand that, but just mm-hmm. to prove a point, um, I think we we do have a responsibility. And it, I, I see your point as far as like, that do I? This is my first year teaching. Like, is it always like this? Or I'm I've d- been doing this for twenty years. I stay in my lane, and I don't want problems with anybody. Like, there's so many different personalities that come into play in the school. Um, but you know, if you think about we are a team, right? All the voices need to be heard in order for us to be successful as a team. And why are we a team? Because we came together to educate this group of kids in this moment in time, right? We're not with them their whole lives like the families are. We have them for a short period of time. And we understand as educators, because hopefully you're having conversations within your school, what's developmentally appropriate? What do our kids really need? What can they understand? 
what do they have the capacity of learning right now? And then think about how the pandemic falls into that and plays into that. And it's like, oh, how do how are we modifying instruction? How are we changing gears? How are we engaging in creative ways that we never even thought we would have to, right? I can imagine at some point, there are some things that you're using now that even when we go back into the building, you're like, you know what, that really worked, right? I loved having everything on Google Classroom, for example, because even if they weren't paying attention in class, like they have it there to reference, right? I may record more videos, instructional videos, right? I, you know, I, I let me let me do a, a reteach on a video and make sure I email it to everybody because now they're in the habit of checking their email. Things that, right? I'm always looking at silver linings. What good has come out of um, this really extreme? And it wasn't a little thing, right? Like we we said at the beginning. Mid-March came, New York City, we knew we were closing buildings. And we're like, okay, see you next month, right? I remember having to go back into the building. I was like, did I leave something in my drawer that might, like, rot? Like, <laughs> I left everything. I took some art. I took some art from my walls because I saw that one teacher took all her stuff. And then I felt weird. And I was like, well, she took down her whole classroom. <laughs> and then I just, I, I'm like, let me grab these things. But everything else was left the same. And I, I'm so glad that you've transitioned us um, to this. Because I, I, I do, like I said, I'm, I'm learning with every conversation that I have. I'm learning so much. And, and, and I'm seeing that the reasons why I wanted to have these conversations have changed and they've expanded, right? Mm -hmm. So I just want to ask you, and I think you sort of started already, what should I be hopeful for next year? Because I'm stressed out and scared and I'm stressed out because I'm a teacher, so I like to plan things and <laughs> I want to know exactly what it's going to look like and nobody knows exactly what it's going to look like next fall. Yeah. And, you know, so so what what do you recommend for somebody like me who tends to catastrophize? <laughs> um, what should I look forward to despite even though we don't know what it's going to look like? What should I look forward to for next year? Uh, embrace the uncertainty. Learn to embrace the unknown. Know that there are good people out in, whether it's your school, whether it's in the community, whether it's just connecting digitally and online to other people that are like-minded enough where we can understand the other person's perspective, but ha may have a different experience so you can maybe think about things differently, right? I'm very grateful for my higher ed experience because it gave me a different perspective on the job that I'm doing now and different ways, right? Those transferable skills. As far as looking forward to knowing that as bad as it got, you survived, right? You're still standing. We're still laughing. Um, there know that, that, you know, the pandemic has shown us a couple of things. One, how resilient we are as individuals, right? As Latina and Hispanic women that we are. <laughs> Um, it showed me, and I hopefully, hopefully you've seen and heard how communities have come together to support each other. Um, and, and it has shown you, hopefully, um, how 
much you can think outside the box because you have to, right? Sometimes you don't know how strong you are until you have to be. Um, as a single mom, that is like my mantra. I was like, I didn't know I could do all that. <laughs> and here we are um, still pushing forward because we know there's more out there, right? Going back to hope, um, it, you can see in someone's eyes, you can hear in someone's voice when they are hopeless. And it's hard to be like, to overcome that if all you see is negative around you. And so we have an opportunity and a responsibility as educators to work within our communities, within our, you know, it starts at home first. So with our, with our families um, and then with the kids that we're working with and their families and our colleagues and to not, and to know that, you know, your voice matters. It's important. It's a perspective that for whatever reason, you know, whether other folks have decided to, just for their own safety and sanity, I'm going to stay in my lane and I don't want to hear or see anything else. It's like, then we need to speak up more. And then we have to be a little bit louder because we can't, because we have to where others cannot, because they didn't, they either don't know that they can or have been turned down so much in their own experience that they decided, yeah, I, I can't, right? We make decisions on whether we speak up or not. And I understand my privilege, right? I have an education. I have a roof over my head. I have a full, full, full job with the benefits. The fact that I have, you know, stable, most days, <laughs> internet access, those are, I don't take for granted. I wake up grateful every morning, right? And, and we have different things. Like I meditate. I have my faith. So I pray. Like I'll read something from the Bible. Like that's, that's just what I found works for me. And I share it. Right. I offer things. You'll hear me say in some of these meetings, I'm offering this. You take it or leave it. If it works for you, great. And if not, that's OK. I'm not going to take offense to it. But it's um, as an educator, it's it's a great opportunity to maybe like maybe this is the disruption in the day to day that we needed as a society to really make a difference and a change in our educational system. Like we are noticing things now more clearly and now we have you know if we're talking to our families and talk and asking our kids and asking our students like what you know what went well or what didn't now we have more to go on as far as like this is why we need to change right we we've spent some time together we didn't even get into like race or economics like this is a much larger conversation my friend <laughs> so many so many tentacles right like yeah. there's so many different <laughs> offshoots of of all of that we could keep talking forever <laughs> but i just it has been so delightful to speak with you natalia and i just you made me think right he said you know we, we've survived as as for us in particular you know not everybody listening is but we're two latinas <laughs> here surviving and i'm i'm i'm, I'm no shame I have no shame about this. I'm an older millennial who is a huge Bad Bunny super fan, and I'm wearing my Estamos Bien. My Where Estamos can I get bien one? Shirt. Oh, you, oh, I got you. Don't worry. I got you. All right, my Estamos Bien. And you know what? You're right. Estamos Bien. We're here, and we need We're to be here. grateful to be here. So many people are, so many people are gone, and they're not yeah. coming back yeah and we are we are still here so you know what whatever comes september can be 
can be worse. <laughs> Knock on wood. It, it, the only place to go is up, right? The only place to go. We we've seen we've seen ugly. We've seen it at its worst. We know more, and so we have to do more, right? And we're not alone, right? Even if you have, you know, this crazy lady that is a phone call away, you call me up and be like, I'm about to kill somebody. (laughs) You just let me know. (laughs) And then maybe we'll do meditate together. (laughs) Ditto. I I so appreciate it. It has been so lovely. I thank you so much. And I thank you for everything that you do for our families. Um... As I said, I'm, I'm, I have a dual identity because I am a teacher on one end and I am a family <laughs> a family member on the other end. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, I have no idea who the family coordinator for my kids' school is. <laughs> so I appreciate, I, you know, because to me, to me, like with the social justice lens, to me, we're, we're all us. Like, you know, yeah. the community yeah. I work with is my community. The The community you work with is my community. The community where Thanks. I live is my community. So I thank you for everything that you do for us because we're all, we're all one. And so it has been lovely. I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. I'm so happy that we could have this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed getting to know you better and um, know that you have a fan in me. Wait, wait for that bat, wait for that bat bunny. That bat bunny is coming to be in gear. It's coming. Love that. <laughs> Once again, great thanks to Natalia and thanks to you all for listening. Please help us get the word about these issues by subscribing, sharing the pod, and rating us. Also, make sure to follow us on social media. Leave a comment, email us, tweet at us, do all the things. We're educators, so we're all about feedback. I can't wait to meet you all again on the airways for the next one. Look out for episodes on Sundays to help you ease that Sunday night teacher anxiety. And remember that you are seen You are appreciated and you are loved. Stay safe, everyone. I ain't surprised at all. Seen them rise and fall. Went up the mountain, it wasn't hard to climb at all. At the top, I found some relief. I finally got some peace. Carry on with 